Welcome to the Celebrity Estates Wills of the Rich and Famous podcast. In this podcast, we break down high-profile celebrity estate planning cases for advisors and their clients. Most celebrity estate catastrophes are based on the same issues that everyday people face, just with the volume turned up. Our goal is to identify and extract the individual estate planning issues that lie at the heart of each story. We then discuss what advisors should expect and how to avoid common pitfalls. Hosted by WealthManagement.com Senior Editor David Lenock. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of WealthManagement.com's Celebrity Estates, Wills of the Rich and Famous. For anyone new to the podcast, in each installment, myself and a guest take on a different celebrity estate and attempt to extract some key lessons that planners can apply to their more traditional clients. The idea being that celebrity estate planning stories, although often ridiculous in their details, generally have at their cores very basic issues that can just as easily apply to non-famous or fabulously wealthy clients. Our guest this week is Damian Martin. Damian is a tax partner at BKD CPAs and Advisors. As the East Region Industry Leader of BKD's private client services team, he uses a forward-looking approach to provide sophisticated income, gift and estate tax compliance, consulting and planning services to individuals, families, businesses, fiduciaries, private foundations, and more. He's also a BKD family office advisor and focuses on helping affluent clients build and preserve their family's legacy through an integrated suite of services designed to assist families manage and transfer multi-generational wealth. He also hosts the Simply Tax Podcast, a show dedicated to delivering practical and timely content to simplify tax challenges, which, unless I've grossly misjudged our audience, I feel safe in encouraging any listeners to check out. So welcome, Damien. It's good to be here. Thank you. The subject of this week's episode is the father of rock and roll, Chuck Berry. Berry was an American singer and songwriter who's credited for refining and developing rhythm and blues into the major elements that made rock and roll distinctive, with songs such as Maybelline, Roll Over Beethoven, Rock and Roll Music, and Johnny Be Good. Writing lyrics that focused on teen life and consumerism, developing a music style that included guitar solos and showmanship, Berry was a major influence on subsequent rock music. He was among the first musicians to be inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame on its opening in 1986, and it was ranked fifth on Rolling Stone's 2011 list of the 100 greatest artists of all time. Now, Barry had a number of run-ins with the law, which is really not an entirely uncommon occurrence for a black man growing up in the 40s and 50s. He served time for armed robbery and a man act violation. However, what we're interested in is his 1979 conviction for tax evasion. See, Barry insisted on being paid in cash for his performances under his record contract, the IRS eventually caught wind of this and slapped him with a four-month jail sentence and community service for tax evasion in 1979. Now, in spite of his tax troubles, when Barry passed of congestive heart failure in 2017 at the age of 90, he left behind a sizable estate. One of Barry's attorneys estimated that his estate was worth about $50 million, including $17 million in music rights. Now, one of the main reasons Barry was able to accumulate such a fortune was that he worked and toured well into his 80s. Now, Damien, it's safe to say that most clients wouldn't be too happy if their advisors suggested they keep working into their 80s to maintain their wealth. So what are some more realistic tax planning issues that advisors can tackle to help clients actually retire and still maximize their estates? Yeah, that's a, that's a wide opening right there in terms of what it could be. And, and boy, are you right that uh, I, I'm pretty sure they'd look at a, a little uh, little crazy, I guess, sometimes if you suggest that. Uh, but perhaps uh, contrary to that, even uh, though there's a, a conversation there to be had for sure, and uh, there's, uh, I, I generally look at it and say there's a number of ways you can go about it, and, it, and it's really specific to you. Uh, but 
there is also sort of um, this this notion that oftentimes succession planning, continuity planning, estate planning, um, they they tend to get put off, right? I, I think sometimes it's hard to maybe think about those sorts of things, uh, particularly for the self-made, you know, like a, like Chuck Berry even, right? I mean, he's self-made in terms of the um, the content he was producing, maybe a little different than a, a business and a, a legacy you're leaving behind um, from that perspective. But it's hard to think about what it would be like without you as the, you know, the wealth creator or the the business creator. That's that's the identity that you have. It's wrapped up in the business. And so it's hard to hard to think that way. And uh, oftentimes, and th- there's statistics out there, I'm sure you, you know them better than I do, right, in terms of the, the number of people that, that go through estate planning and, and properly have wills and so forth, and the challenges then that come when you perhaps don't. Um, and that ultimately, I think people put it off because it's not something they, like I said, want to think about, um, you know, thinking about your own death isn't always it. But like I said, it, I, I think if I was going to kind of bring that point to directly your question there, uh, something more realistic to approach in terms of ti- retiring is is really being intentional about it. Doing, you know, the, again, the reflection, the the f- figuring out what it would be and what it'll look like and maybe also preventing you from just putting off until tomorrow, which you can do today. But also more importantly, making sure that you, and this is where the advisors come in. I, I think I generally advocate for a team of advisors that are, that are looking at holistically to make sure that the, the wealth is is there uh, that you know you have the the cash flow that you need into retirement so you can retire so that you know that's not a concern but then also you know building for a, a legacy or um, whatever those goals are whether they be philanthropic or for the next generation that you're 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 building that and putting that in place and there's there's a number of vehicles number of ways you can go about it and like I said that's personal to you ultimately and a good team of advisors will do that. But um, at the end of the day, I think that's really what it, what it is, being intentional and, and doing some planning. Yeah, all these, you know, retirement planning and estate planning and succession planning all kind of fall into that sort of like two parts scary, one part boring sort of, sort of like mm-hmm. feeling of avoidance where it's like it's all stuff we don't want to think about. And then even when clients do think about it, it seems so dull to them until, you know, to, to get started talking about a lot of the times that their eyes glaze over before you're even like halfway through the pitch of we should do this. Yes, I, I, I agree. And I think it just, it does seem, um, I, I think for maybe two reasons. One, it's it's daunting, I, I think. Uh, I mean, we already talked about the, the, the primary one that you, well, who wants to think about their own debt. But then, you, like you said, the, the, the boring part, you, it, it's daunting in the sense that there's so much there to kind of take in. There's a lot of terms of art, um, complex topics, you know, things that are confusing even to those that are, you know, practicing in the estate planning world. Um, and you know, going through that process, there, there definitely is a, an amount of empathy I think an advisor can have that can help with that process because, yeah, the eyes glaze over quickly. Um, but when you when you tie it back to really what's at stake, whether it be the family, the the values that they're that they're trying to instill in the family, the the legacy, the the giving whatever dollar amount they had in their head to their to their children, leaving that behind, whatever it might be. When you start talking about it and framing it in terms of that, that sort of changes it. Although I, I still think that I, I perhaps, uh, you know, being the tax guy that I am, and uh, I generally probably get a little bit more excited about it than, than most people, to your point. I mean, that's nothing to be ashamed of. Listen, we're, this is an estate planning podcast. We're not going to cast aspersions on <laughs> we're, we're other quote-unquote boring industries. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. That's but, right. Yeah. 
I think this idea that you brought up here of, of sort of what's at, what's at stake is, is a really important part of this intentional process you mentioned, right? Because you really want to identify what's at stake. What, there's so many risks, there's endless risks to, to, you know, to your wealth, to your, to your family, that you know, at a certain point you can't really plan around absolutely everything in a, in a document that's meant to last in perpetuity past your death, right? It's just not realistic. So one of the, you know, the important parts of this sort of intentional planning is really to identify with the client, like, okay, well, what are the risks here? Is the risk just running out of money in retirement? Or is it the intergenerational sort of, you know, um, having the, the, the fortune sort of shrink and shrink over f- further generations? Or is it just that your family's going to fight over what's there? Yeah. Yeah. And, and sometimes it's the intersection of those, those three that you just gave, because you're, you're spot on there. I mean, there are a lot of concerns that, that, that again, if you don't do anything, you know, they're, they're, they always say that if you don't do anything, there's, you know, there's a plan for it. And it's, it's not one that you necessarily devise. Um, I, I think a couple things come the, to go, mind. The so, government's plan. That's, that's right. You know, they've got one for you, you know, so that's, that's, that's one way I look at it. And, and sometimes we'll start the conversation. Um, but I think it also depends on maybe, yeah, where, where that wealth was created. So in my practice, I work a lot with um, entrepreneurs and, uh, you know, business owners, a lot of family businesses, multi-generational wealth and, and transitioning that. And there's the, there's an old adage, I actually don't know where it originated, but the um, shirt sleeves, the shirt sleeves in three generations. Uh, so, you know, there's the, of, and, and generally that adage, I guess, to, to back up probably is, you know, to say that, you know, the first generation makes the wealth, the, the second generation um continues on the third gen- by the third generation that they've, they've spent the wealth and, and, and it's um, it's gone again and, and and really that's what comes into the what happens again the, the plan that happens if you don't have one where perhaps the values aren't instilled or the the drive that created or the why that you created it um, gets lost somewhere in translation um, and then like you said it's making sure first and foremost that that the wealth is where it needs to be, um, and and it's the right amount because I, I think a lot of times the concern, again, from my perspective, dealing with a lot of business owners, there's concern that if you you pass on the wealth, that perhaps that that really maybe doesn't create the motivation for the next generation. I guess I'll say that there just isn't the incentive there, perhaps, and so there's there's a lot of concern about that. Of you know, well, if I if I don't do anything, or I'll, I'll just I'll just leave it all to my kids, and then maybe that creates a problem. Um, so again, you, you can't really plan for everything and you're kind of going down this road and you made this comment about, yeah, you can't plan for everything. And I think that is a barrier sometimes to people that once you get past the fact that perhaps it's boring, uh, you, you're talking about you not being here any longer and, and no longer working in the business that you are extremely passionate for, or again, the, whether the owner or not, right? So that could be the executive, that could be the musician, could be kind of whatever, right? Um, th- those are things you don't necessarily have to think about that ultimately it's, it's, not going to be perfect. And I think that you have to realize that. And sometimes, I don't know, maybe the type A personalities like to, to have it really dialed in and, and almost, I'm going to leave it on the shelf until I can pick it up and do it right. Like I, I personally have that tendency of doing things right. I like to make it as, as best as I can, but then what you can end up doing then is just putting off and it's not going to be perfect. I, I like to think of it more like planning for a, a vacation, you know, um, it's, it's, you're going to go on a, maybe a, an excursion and, and there's all the different things that you can do. There's going to be things you can't plan for, you know, you, you do your best, but it's not going to be perfect. But, but in some ways, that's the way that it becomes, uh, perfect perhaps, you know, in, in terms of it's perfectly the way it was supposed to be or, or whatever, if you want to think of it that way, but you just cannot account for everything. It's impossible, but 
you can be intentional about it and you can have a good team of advisors that are looking out for and assessing those risks, like you said earlier. And you mentioned, you know, earlier that, you know, there were certain building blocks that you can use to sort of intentionally build your plan here. So what are some of the most common, you know, building blocks that, you know, you and your practice see and that you see, you know, brought in to address some of these issues? Yeah, I think maybe the the first starting point is is doing something, you know, and they're called different things, but kind of a, a needs assessment, figuring out using different tools to, to figure out where are you now doing an assessment and figuring out the the cash flows that are coming in, the assets that are that are held and, and how they're held and so forth, and really getting that picture and then modeling it out to see what it'll look like over a lifetime. You know, there's a lot of assumptions that need to get made in there. Uh, you know, you, you can't necessarily uh, tell. I, I always say, you know, I don't have a crystal ball and uh, I, don't, I don't know anybody that, that does that can perfectly say how, how things are going to go. Uh, perhaps the last year or so with the, the pandemic has been a good indicator of that. I don't think anybody, any of us were necessarily thinking of some of the things that have come at us in the last year, but they certainly have. Um, so, so, of course, it's again, it's an imperfect science, um, but, but there are models that can go through that, uh, that can actually do that that planning and um, and help to model that out. And and that way, it, it does help to identify if there are risks of outliving wealth, for example, um, and that becomes the focus, right? Or perhaps we know that there's sufficient wealth, well, then it's what's going to happen. Is it going to, is it going to the kids? Well, how much? What's what's the vehicle that it's going to go in to pre- preserve it? Because I think that's a big part of it. And, and specific to the clients that I work with, oftentimes, it's preserving and, and sustaining that legacy that they've created, you know, through the use of trusts, uh, through the, the use of different structures, different planning techniques. Um, and, and then that's where, again, being the tax-minded guy that I am, I like, uh, you know, getting into some of the, the estate planning perspectives from a, from a tax angle and being able to utilize those. And, and right now, I will tell you, especially in the last, uh, we'll call it last uh, few months, and I think in the months ahead, there's going to be a lot of conversation around uh, looking at the basically the estate side as well as the income tax side because I think sometimes that gets left out of the, the conversation a little bit um, but it's it's in many cases equally if not more important to be thinking about the income tax consequences as well yeah I'm glad you, you brought these up especially the income tax aspect because you know when we talk about taxes in the states obviously estate and gift tax uh, is sort of the, the big one that jumps forward um, for a lot of sort of ultra high net worth individuals but the reality is that given you know, what the exemptions are nowadays, that it really is only applying you know, the estate tax and it is only really applying to like a very tiny portion of clients. And, you know, that may be your clientele specifically, but for the vast majority of clients, um, you know, estate tax planning is maybe not necessary, but income tax planning can still make a big difference and the two can interchange so that you can use, you know, your estate tax exemption to assist your income tax planning. That That is right. Um, and in where, where we sit today, and this is the, the big... I'll say uh, contradistinction between uh, the estate tax and the income tax is on, you know, really have to know whether or not you're over that line in the sand, you know, the lifetime exemption amount, which right now is the highest it's ever been. And uh, I guess absent nothing happen, happening, uh, we know it, it kind of reverts back to half as much in 2026. Uh, and, and maybe with some of the proposals and, and things we'll see out of Washington and, and uh, proposals there, we may see it get reduced beyond that uh, before that. So so there, the, that's a moving line, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. But you really have to know whether you're over it or, over it or not. And, and the reason being that 
if it's included, if you're over that amount, the lifetime exemption amount, so it's the amount that you can give away at death or, or, or during and throughout your lifetime, um, they, they do ultimately face an estate tax. And, and that can be greater than, in terms of rate, than the income tax. But the assets that are included get a step up in basis, as it's commonly referred to. It's actually just a, a step two fair value, which can be a step down sometimes. Um, but but that step up in basis is incredibly valuable. And so you really want to be doing planning and thinking about the basically the makeup of the estate, because there are things that you can do if you have enough time, enough runway in advance to think about which assets do you want included in the estate if there's a taxable one. Or, what, and then I've seen plenty of this to your point, because of the exemption continuing to rise and being so high, there, there aren't a lot of taxable estates anymore, right? And, and so you really don't want a plan that's going to help you in driven around, you know, eliminating the, the estate tax. And this is particularly true of plans that were maybe put in place in the, we'll say the maybe late 80s or something like that. So you, you have an old plan in place that was really designed for a much lower lifetime exemption. You're, you're not maybe facing the estate tax anymore, and you'd really much rather have that, that step up in basis because it'll allow you to avoid you know, future capital gains down the road and, and reduce the tax drag on it. So at the end of the day, what I, I really think the value of, of a, a team of advisors, especially on the tax side, is, is really thinking about what's the net cash that's going to be there, you know, and being able to tax affect things and, and, and plan for that. Because, you know, there, there definitely are things you can do to manage the expenses, the administration, you know, obviously getting getting a plan in place that's going to avoid probate, that that's a big one because it manages the, the administration and the costs associated with it. But but further, you're able to also reduce the uh, estate or the income tax exposure, and you really need to be thinking intentionally about that. And it's not only about the estate plan, but also about you know managing the income brackets, managing the you know the, the things that you're you're doing in, in in between so really it's taking a multi-year approach that you really have to do anymore especially with the prospect and of maybe rate changes on the future and coming out of recent rate changes there we're kind of in this this almost constantly moving environment so you have to take a multi-year approach in my opinion and you, you kind of have to take a um you know really a, a multifaceted look at tax planning. So it's not just income tax, not just estate tax, to your point. It's it's kind of the, the, the inner interplay of those two things together. Yeah, and uh, this idea of a team is really important. And it's important to stress here that, that a team is actually that, is working together. Uh, I think many clients sort of believe they have a team because they have a CPA and they have an estate planning attorney and they have an, a financial advisor, yet never the three shall meet. you know. And so mm. what they have is three advisors. They don't have a team. Um, That's right. And so as we've mentioned, you know, all these taxes and, and planning aspects interact and all these lines, like we said, are constantly moving that make something effective or not effective. So it, it's super important. It's of the utmost important that these advisors, you know, actually aren't siloed and they actually are interacting because, you know, the estate tax line moving can greatly impact your income tax planning. But if you just have your CPA doing just concentrating income tax and your estate plans over here, you know, your estate plan might change and your income tax plan won't change to, you know, reflect the new most efficient way to do things. Yeah, that that's very well put. And I think that anymore that you really do need to encourage that that interaction. That's something I know as an advisor, I always like to do because it, you do feel like sometimes you can be living in your silo, you know, in the vacuum, however you want to look at it. And, and you don't really have a good, 
you don't have good optics onto the the investments, or maybe you don't have good optics onto the the estate plan or kind of what's going on. I, I always encourage, especially this time of year with, the, with being t- you know tax time and whatnot, that you know you're 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 talking about those life changes as you go about it because your CPA really needs to know them to be able to correctly file your income tax return. And I think that the, the same is true for the, your financial advisor, for the, you know, the legal advisor, the, the counsel that's involved, I mean, life insurance. I mean, all the different advisors that you have in the mix, they, they really do need to at least kind of have some element of overlap. I mean, I, I think there's sometimes a general, you know, a general thought of, well, do I really want to get all these advisors on a, in a room together or I guess in this environment, a, you know, a virtual room together or, or, or wherever it might be? You, you, you really do need to do it though, um, or at least make sure there's, there's notes being exchanged. I, I think kind of a, um, and again, it depends on your cadence and the complexity and your issues, but you know, at least kind of an annual check-in, I, I think is really, really a good idea. I, I generally like to suggest that at year end, you know, especially whenever there's, there's things that maybe you can do to either plan from an investment perspective or plan from a, a tax perspective, you know, Getting those lines to overlap will give a lot of insight that that the advisors in their own silos, um, not communicating, really don't have. And and I think you're right. That is a common misconception to say that you have a team. Um, but uh, what's the what's the saying? There's there's no I in team or what whatnot. That you know if everybody's sort of individually on their own and, and they're not communicating. Um, and and generally, if, if if you're the person that thinks you have a team and the team's not playing together uh, because you haven't permitted it, then in fact you you might not actually have a team there. Yeah, and it's really this idea of, of teamwork and, and incorporating, you know, inviting other advisors into the fold um, is sort of in a weird way contrary to what a lot of professionals, you know, just the general culture has been, especially, you know, I think uh, estate planning attorneys and, and CPAs are a little bit better about giving and getting referrals um, than most financial advisors are, just by the virtue of, you know, how AUM is sort of, you know, an asset accumulation it has become, you know, over the past, you know, few decades, sort of the model for a successful advisor. Um, sure. So you, you, a lot of times it, you'll find that the financial advisor is sort of the sticking point um, that prevents sort of the team from teaming up. Um, and that's really a big problem because also the financial advisor is most times the person who has by far the most contact with the client and the most information to share. Um, so like that's really the keystone that needs to be unlocked a lot in a lot of cases. And obviously every advisor is different. But in many of the cases I've seen that that's sort of where you kind of get the funnel is, is at the financial advisor, and yet they have the most information to give, so they're the most important ones to need to sort of overcome this hurdle. That's absolutely true, and, and I think that, um, you know, and, and not as a fault, I mean, because I get, like you said, there's there's motivations and whatnot, but I think there's also the, you know, the the baseline that I think a lot of advisors have, I know myself, I d- deep down have, right, as, as I want to help, and sometimes you, you want to help in all ways, but, but generally speaking, especially with the increasing complexity, you know, just again, looking at the, we'll look at the tax side, right, that there have been so many changes in the tax law, despite efforts, perhaps at, uh, at, at simplification and whatnot, ha- has really not gotten simpler, things have just gotten more complex. And the, the intersection and it never will. And it never will. <laughs> no matter, your, no matter what politicians point. will tell us, right, that it's just it's never going to be, it might be simpler slightly, but it's never going to be simple. That's, that's really right. It really is. And, and so it's just a lot to think about. And, and then even just the environment, the, the, like you said, the financial side and uh, the financial management side. And, and you know, there's, there's a lot of different things in, coming at us from that direction, and, and whether it be the economic environment or regulatory environment or whatnot. You know, there's, so 
there are a lot, and I think the bottom line is, really, as an advisor, it's very difficult to be all things to to uh, to somebody and being able to do that. And I think having again that team, like you said, and everybody kind of swimming down the 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 pool in their own lane, but you know, checking in on each other at the same time is kind of the the, the key there to make sure everybody's got you know, heading towards the right direction and being able to have the, the insight and the perspective they need to be able to, you know, spot risks um, and, and really help actually retire. <laughs> so you don't end up like Chuck Berry, perhaps. Uh, unless, of course, again, you, you, you decided that you didn't want to do that and wanted to go all the way into working deep into old age. So, yeah, it's it, it definitely is it's it's not the easiest thing so I'm, i don't want to over over uh, boil it down right because uh, it's it's easy to say but it's sometimes harder to do in practice but i think it's again coming back to the a word I've, i feel like i say a lot which is is being intentional about it you know putting it on the calendar and making sure those check-ins happen because we all get busy we all have a lot coming at us especially if uh, you know in speaking of my practice working with a lot of business owners you know the day-to-day in the business keep you sometimes from working on the the, the big picture stuff and, you know, working on you and working outside of the business and on the business. And so, you know, you really have to plan that stuff and schedule that stuff to make sure that it happens. Yeah. I think also it seems it is quite a bit of, of work to maintain a relationship like this, but I find that getting it started is significantly more difficult than maintaining it. And the big barrier to a lot of these, you know, either whether it's getting a client to start an estate plan or, you know, starting to gather this team of other professionals, um, it's that initial contact and that initial start that that's really the hardest part a lot of the time. And then beyond that, sort of like if you think of it like an email, right, which a lot of times it actually is, where it's like the first email you send, it's like, what's this guy's email address? What's OK? I gotta, how am I going to talk to him? You have to, you, know, you have to you have to create something, you know, in a way. But then once they respond, now, now you're just responding to an email chain. You're just hitting respond and firing. And it just gets so much easier. And a lot of times sort of planning can, can be the same way. Yeah, no, no, it definitely is, and I think that's a really good comparison to, to email. I mean, the the first step is always kind of the hardest, and it's and again, it's a lot of times it's it's in your head, you know, and and, and not to diminish it because again, you know, perception is reality, and um, you know, but it's it's getting that first step going, and and getting some some good direction to doing that 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 can really go a long way in helping you out. Well, unfortunately, that's about all the time that we have for today. I'd like to thank Damian Martin for being just a fantastic guest. And for all our listeners, I'll see you, or I guess you'll hear me, on the next episode of Celebrity Estates, Wills of the Rich and Famous. Thank you for listening to the Celebrity Estates, Wills of the Rich and Famous podcast. Click the subscribe button below to become notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of InformaWealthManagement.com. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.